Welcome to another episode of Influence is Currency. I'm your host, Pam Druckerman. Today, we're talking about my new favorite subject, the metaverse. And today, we'll go deep into it. In fact, I can't promise we'll be able to get out. According to Axios, the word metaverse has been mentioned 128 times so far this year during investor presentations, compared to just seven times last year. Facebook renamed itself to Meta. Roblox, which has been around almost two decades, finally went public. And Sotheby's is selling NFTs and accepting cryptocurrency. But if you ask anyone what the metaverse is, you'll get a mix of explanations ranging from a futuristic internet to a variety of virtual experiences, environments, and assets that gained momentum during the online everything shift of the pandemic. Essentially, what the internet will become next. And on a personal note, I've learned a lot about the metaverse from my wife, Lindsay, who is always eager to explain the significance of the metaverse. The way she's dumbed it down for me was this. If Web 1 was read and Web 2 was read-write, then Web 3 is read-write-and-own. And so today, we'll attempt to break down what all of this means. And because I'm just like you and trying to better understand this every day, I've asked two experts, thank God, to help us in the discovery of Internet Next. One of those experts is newly appointed Global Wired editor Gideon Litchfield. Gideon is new to Connie Nass, but he's already deep into things at Wired, where he sets the overall content strategy and vision for Wired on every platform. Wired reaches 44 million people each month, including 8 million subscribers on YouTube, making it the largest tech science channel from a global media company on that platform. Wired recently dedicated its November-December issue to the metaverse, calling out Roblox as the closest property we have to real meta. Also joining us today is the chief business officer of that company, Craig Donato. Craig leads the growth of the Roblox platform on a global scale. He oversees the company's brand partnerships, care and safety, and developer relations teams. Craig, you do a lot. Roblox reaches 47 million daily active users and increased engagement levels by 30% year over year. Not a surprise. So you guys have a lot to teach me and our listeners. Let's get things started. You guys ready? Sure. All right, good. Like I said, to me, the metaverse is absolutely riveting. My first question is to you, Gideon. I want to start with a short quote from the editor's letter from Wired's most recent issue. What happens when we're living in a simulation and in reality simultaneously and we know it, but we have trouble telling them apart, in which case it doesn't matter whether you take the red pill or the blue pill. We're all going down the rabbit hole either way. So can we simply start with... What is the metaverse? Can you give me the 101 definition? So I think what's happening right now is that people are fighting over what that definition is going to get to be, and people are trying to stake out their claims. But maybe it would help for the purposes of this discussion to go back to where the word came from, because I think that will actually act as a useful reference point. So the word was coined by the science fiction author Neil Stevenson in his novel Snow Crash in 1992, and he imagined it as this virtual planet that you could go to. You put on VR goggles and you go into this world, which is essentially a featureless planet with, strangely, a monorail running all the way around the circumference of it. And on this planet, you can buy virtual real estate and you can build stuff there. And there are a couple of properties of this virtual world that I think are germane for our discussion. One is that it was one world. There was only one metaverse. You couldn't go to any others. Another was you had to claim and buy real estate. Another was you couldn't just teleport to any part of it. You had to move around and the speed was limited. And this had an interesting effect, which was real estate had value because you wanted to get property that was near to where everything was happening. And the further away you went, the less value your real estate had, just like in the real world. So by doing these things, this imaginary metaverse 
created a kind of a parallel to the real world where things had value and everybody had to come into the same community. The metaverses that we're hearing about today or the definitions we're talking about today seem to range very widely. And Craig is going to talk about what Roblox's metaverse is, but it's a whole bunch of different environments that use a common platform, but they're all separate from one another. Facebook has its own notion of what the metaverse might be. There is the company Niantic, which we talk about in our latest issue, whose founder believes that the metaverse is actually the real world, the physical world, but with augmented reality laid over it. He thinks this virtual metaverse is a waste of time. So people are trying to stake a claim on what the metaverse can be. But clearly, one of the things that's really interesting to people and is important about it is that like in Stevenson's original metaverse, there's a potential to stake out property or goods create value and therefore create an economy in it. Just going back to my brilliant wife's definition, the fact that Web3 is upon us, is it becoming more mainstream because consumers are now having the ability to access it in a way that they couldn't before? There's an interesting question here. I don't want us to get too in the weeds, but is the metaverse and Web3 the same thing or are they complementary or are they completely different? With Web3, we're talking about, as you said, read, write, own creating digital assets that can't be duplicated or faked uh, and whose ownership can be proved. When you match that digital ownership with a virtual environment that you can goggle into or visit as a virtual world, then you get the possibility to create this virtual space that has an economy. So there's clearly a lot of interest in these two going together, and I think that's why the talk of the metaverse has taken off so much. But I'm interested in what Craig has to say. Do you think Web3 and the metaverse are essentially one and the same thing? I don't think they're one and the same thing. I think actually I very much agree with what you said. It's it's a component of it. A lot of times when you think, think about Web3, you're talking about blockchain. That's an implementation detail. That's an, a mechanism with which one can do a lot of things. And I think we need to separate what people are doing in Web3 with blockchain details. I don't know. Very fast, we went down the rabbit hole right. on that one. I said we would. You know, we started with what is the metaverse? And I like to think of it as having three facets to it. The first is, what are the nature of the experiences in the metaverse. And I think they're defined by two characteristics. They're immersive, so that when I'm engaged with them, my mind's eye gets transported into the experience. It feels like I'm there. And the second, it's fundamentally social. I'm engaging in these experiences with other people. They're contained in a universe. So Neil Stevenson talked about a planet metaphor. We typically use a universe metaphor. So there's millions of these experiences out there that are always changing, constantly getting updated. And by the definition of this being millions of experiences, it means that it's been co-created with the community that's engaged with it. And the third is, is that all these experiences, this universe, there's a consistent integrated reality across all of them through a shared sense of fabric. And that fabric includes my identity, who I am and the stuff that I own, my friends and who I interact with, and a sense of economy, the ability to buy, sell, trade things, so it's currency. And also, last but not least, sense of rules of order. This isn't chaos of the Wild West. There are rules <laughs> that someone needs to enforce, and that could be through the community itself or through the platform. But that's kind of the definition that's very much evolved for us. Why do you think that the average consumer is so confused by the metaverse? You know, Why are there so many definitions, and why does it really feel like one has to go into a rabbit hole to even try to figure it out? Well, first off, I'd say that the metaverse is very much a generational phenomenon. Mm -hmm. You know, you would show a kid that grew up with iPads and you give them a piece of paper and they'd start to scroll and they didn't understand why the paper was broken, <laughs> right? They're like, they're natives of mobile. And we have a generation that's grown up with online interactive gaming. 
And based on what we've seen, this generation, which I think is like the metaverse generation, perceives reality differently than we do. We see physical and digital realities as distinct. And a lot of times it comes with a judgment that digital reality is less than physical reality. These natives, these kids, see them as a continuum and they evenly bounce between the two of them. So, you know, I think for kids, they totally get the metaverse. Now, as adults, I think we've started to understand the impact of this as a result of COVID, right? Because we were forced suddenly to have to figure out how to engage in meetings and do birthday parties and funerals and all sorts of things in the digital world. And we're starting to experience what this could be. So I think we're approaching it from a very different perspective. I have three boys who know the metaverse very well because they're obsessed Mm -hmm. with Roblox. I just spent a chunk of change on new skins, which they're so excited about. But let's, just as a jumping off point, I wanted to talk about your business for a second. You know, as I said, Roblox is reaching 47 million active daily users, unlike Facebook. You guys didn't actually set out to become a metaverse company. And actually, at your most recent investor day, Your CEO said that you call the metaverse the human co-experience, a place where technology combines communication with a new way to tell stories. Can you tell us a little bit about how you came up with that definition and how long you guys have been working on this concept of the metaverse, so to speak? Yeah, we didn't internally call it the metaverse till recently. We started 15, 16 years ago on Roblox, and it was all about enabling people to do things together in these 3D digital worlds and figuring out how to make this work and intuitive. And I think it really has come from that. We've always been focused on this. And I think it's slowly evolved and we're fortunate in that the conversation is somewhat caught up to us today. Wide ran a piece by one of our writers, Cecilia D'Anastasio recently, which essentially said, look, there is no metaverse. It's all existing technology that all of these companies have built Mm -hmm. and it's just a rebranding. So what do you say to that? I think that's probably true from a technology perspective, but in terms of how people engage and and interact, I think that's the profound impact of it all, right? So when I think about the first chapter of the internet, I never would have thought of this idea of being able to access the world's information on my phone. And I think we're going through a similar revolution here that's on the social side. Now I want to be able to do anything with anyone, anywhere, at any point in time. And I think we're really just starting to understand the implications of this as a social phenomenon. And just like in the early days of the internet, a lot of the first internet sites were very physical representations like yellow pages. And there were all these things that were kind of web 1.0 stuff. Then all of a sudden it kind of went crazy. I don't think we really understand the implications of what's gonna happen in terms of how human beings can interact and do things together. How do you see all these new worlds coming together, the world of entertainment, mobile gaming, creators, and storytellers? Because I think for most adults, this meta space is still very much a gaming space, and I know that's a big part of your world. What's your thought on that? For us, it all gets grounded into that notion of human co-experience. It's simply people doing things together. And these experiences on our platform provide the context with which they can have a good, fun, shared experience, right? And most of that today, you're right, is around gaming, shared fun adventures. But increasingly, we're thinking about how do we expand the nature of the experiences that occur on there? So for example, when we think about having concerts Mm -hmm. on Roblox, we start off thinking about what does even a concert mean when you're free from physical constraints? We can have Mm -hmm. as many people as we want come. Everybody can have a VIP seat if we want. Maybe they're jumping on giant trampolines while they're watching the artist who's 60 feet tall, and there's all sorts of other things going on. It really opens up the possibility of how we can engage with content with other people. Obviously, there's just so much dimension 
to where this can go. Based on what Craig said, Gideon, how do you see our brands like Wired interacting in the metaverse as it exists today? I mean, where do you see us kind of starting to push into those areas? Something actually that Craig said in an interview you did not long ago, where you talked about Vans, the shoe company, and how they mm-hmm. created a virtual skate park in Roblox. And I, th- I think your point was they didn't show up in Roblox and try to sell shoes. They connected with what their identity was. It was around skaters. And so they said, let's create a skating experience. I think the point there was, all right, what does it mean for a brand to authentically be itself in each of these virtual environments? And the answer is not obvious. I think in Instagram, a brand thinks about what sense of visual imagery do I need to share mm-hmm. that embodies who my brand is. And I think in the metaverse, you know, on Roblox, whatever you want to call it, it's what type of interactive experience do I want to have with my customers, with my fans? As we talk about brands in the metaverse, so many have already migrated to the current metaverse or gaming world. And there's a reason, you know, Meta, Facebook, it tends to spend $10 billion to become a metaverse company in the next five years because brands like Gucci, Hyundai, you know, Anheuser-Busch, Coca-Cola are leading into this world. In my first pod, I spoke with Alice De La Hunt about Ralph Lauren's partnership with Zepetto, which was a 50-piece digital clothing collection. And I heard that you all just made an announcement about Ralph Lauren yesterday. Do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Sure. They launched an experience within Roblox. It's this alpine world, this holiday alpine world where you can go in and you can skate and get hot cocoa and coffee and do all sorts of other fun things. And they're debuting this super trendy winter fashion line that I think harkens on uh, 90s vintage style. It's pretty cool. So it's super fun. I was in there yesterday for about an hour, just kind of hanging out and enjoying myself. I want to talk about what the brands are getting out of this, but what do you think the consumer is getting out of these experiences? One is they're having a fun, engaging time. Like it it has to be worth their time. They need to figure out how to put something out that people want to engage with. But there's a lot of folks that really love the brand. And so there's lots of different things that you can do in the metaverse. You can take your brand and bring it into an existing experience. You can offer up gear. You can provide these experiences, whether they're ephemeral, like the Ralph Lauren world's only going to be around for about a month, or these persistent experiences, which feel more like social media experiences. There's lots of different things that brands can get out of them, and it really depends on what their goals are. So let's just take one, which is would be virtual gear. People, if you offer this Ralph Lauren gear and you wear it, that's a huge thing about associating your identity, your avatar identity with that brand. You're putting that clothing on. That's a huge, I think, opportunity for brands to think about brand engagement, associating people's identity with your brand and then expressing it with their friends. So there's a lot of depth to this and kind of understanding what's really going on under the covers. And I know NASCAR, unlike Ralph Lauren, just kicked off a multi-year plan to get in front of gamers with Roblox. Can you talk a little bit about that partnership? The NASCAR one to date, actually, interestingly enough, is is not even an official partnership. They're working directly with providers in our platform, so community creators. So in this case, with this first implementation they did, there's an experience on our platform called Jailbreak, where people get in car races and drive around towns, and they integrated NASCAR cars into that experience. So it was a very authentic integration. And people loved it. It was great for the brand. It was great for the users. It was great for that creator. Again, they're choosing to actually integrate in rather than creating their own front door, which they will eventually do, I believe. What we've seen is for a lot of brands, they walk in, like they start with brand integrations or just merchandise, and then they kind of work up to building experiences. Usually they start with an ephemeral experience 
than these persistent experiences. So say, for example, when we worked with Gucci, we started off and we did some virtual gear. Then they did an event around their fashion show, which was an ephemeral event. It lasted a week. And now, you know, they're obviously moving beyond that. So I think it's important for people to kind of dip their toe, understand mm-hmm. the medium and slowly figure out how to, what's the appropriate way to use this medium for their brand. For marketers that aren't there yet, are they moving too slow? Are they missing a massive opportunity in the way that you see it? Well, obviously I'm, I'm biased. I think everyone's going to eventually have to figure this out. I think this is kind of where social media was way back when it first started mm-hmm. and people were just figuring out how should I do this? And now a lot of these brands have big social media teams. I think we'll get there with the metaverse. I think we're just in the very early stages. So Gideon, I mean, as you hear all this, and I know that you have such an appetite for obviously innovation, how does a more interactive brand experience change your approach to Wired? You know, and do you think it will change the consumer expectations in general from what current media delivers? I think it can change it in all sorts of ways. And I am excited to explore this. I mean, one of the holy grails that media brands have been going after for a long time is the two-way conversation with their audiences, the phrase, the people formerly known as the audience, and the building of community. And I feel like very few, if any, have actually really pulled this off. And I don't know, this is speculative, but I can imagine that in a virtual environment, maybe it gets easier to create and build communities that are around brands. So I talked earlier about What is it for a brand to be authentically itself on different platforms? I think you have to go back to the basics of what is the brand about. For me, my mantra about Wired is that we're about the idea that the world has a lot of really difficult problems, but they're worth trying to solve, and we exist to inspire the people who are trying to solve them. So at the moment, we do that by telling stories about these difficult problems and about other people who are tackling them so that you can learn from that. But what might it look like in which we are acting not only as a publisher of our own stuff, but also more as a kind of convener or curator for creators on the one hand, or activists or entrepreneurs, you know, people who are trying to make a difference in the world. And we act in a way to bring them together, both give them more visibility for the stuff they're working on, but also let them interact with each other and learn from each other and form communities and form projects. And so I can imagine the idea that in a virtual environment like a Roblox Maybe there is the equivalent of a wired conference on local solutions to climate change. And you bring in people who are climate activists and you can do it in a virtual environment in a way that would just be too costly or difficult in a real environment. And you find a way for people to share learning, knowledge, form partnerships, and wired acts as the convener for all of that. Another version is that we just connect with a lot of content creators in the metaverse or in whatever virtual environment, and we act as a way for them to showcase what they're doing. So I think there are all sorts of ways here that you can think about connecting with community. Is it fair? This is I'm kind of like throwing a little bit of a curveball at mm. you, Gideon, but I've been thinking about this while you've been talking because Roblox is legitimately a space in which consumers can have an experience that is very much in this space that now everyone's come to know as the metaverse. But then you have a company like Facebook that has just renamed itself Meta. Is that fair? I mean, there is no real experience yet there. So right now, is it just a name? Is it, you know, obviously because they've claimed they're going to make investments over the next however many years? I'm just curious what your perspective is on that. I mean, obviously, I'm waiting and seeing. I think that Facebook is trying to create an environment that people can inhabit and do things in. And the question has got to be, what incentive is it creating for people to do that there? What do they get out of it? When we interviewed John Hankey, the CEO of Niantic, he said something like, 
I don't need a conference room that looks like a virtual Tahiti. That doesn't make the meeting experience any better for me. So I think we're still waiting to see what do you get out of being within Facebook's system. Well, I want to talk briefly about disruption because I think there's something that walks in parallel with the growing significance of the metaverse is this idea of, well, not even idea, it's like the realities of DeFi and now what is called DSO. And for our listeners, I want to attempt to define both. The idea of DeFi is the decentralization of finance, a system by which financial products become available on a public decentralized blockchain network. And the same thing is starting to happen in social, which is called DSO, where the walled gardens are starting to come down. And in fact, Wired states the only way to get to Web3 is through decentralization, through open protocols, including blockchain technology. That's a whole other podcast, by the way. So, Gideon, I'm going to have to have you come back. As the metaverse grows, it will be a natural progression for DSO and DeFi to grow more and more. So let's start with DeFi. I have to ask this question to you, Craig. Do you own anything in the metaverse? I own a lot of stuff in Roblox. I don't own any NFTs. For me right now, it's, it's you know, I guess I could if I was interested in speculating on the value in them, but I'm thinking about what gives me real value in terms of how I'm doing things. And right now I do spend a lot of time in Roblox. So buying things from my avatar makes sense for me. So from that perspective, I'm looking at what provides me concrete value today. And right now it's Roblox stuff. What are you buying for your avatar? I visit a lot of these experiences. I have to go back and, and get some Ralph Lauren stuff. But at some recent concerts I went to, we sell some interesting gear. I bought some really cool little Nasdaq sunglasses not too long ago. So nice. lots of different stuff. I like to change my looks here and there. So <laughs> it's fun to kind of dress it up and try out different looks. So I get a kick out of it. Gideon, what do you think about this concept of the decentralization of social? I mean, it's pretty new to me. So I haven't really formed an opinion on it, except that a little bit like with DeFi, the question is, how do you get to the critical mass that makes it worth it for people? And maybe even more so than with finance, because the whole thing that makes a social network work is the network, is the number of people who are on it, the ability to get in touch with the people that you care about. And so when you have these behemoths like Facebook controlling the social graph, what does it take for somebody to build something that enough people want to get onto? I don't know. Maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe like in Roblox, where there are so many different little worldlets, you don't have to have everybody connected to everyone else. But I'm waiting to see where it goes. Well, imagine if you could take your avatar with you, just like in DeFi, Mm -hmm. this concept that there's lots of different currencies that without these walled gardens allows you to expand. And so I think what's kind of interesting or I guess the challenge when you think about a platform like Facebook is that when you leave that platform, you leave all of your audience, you leave your likes, you leave your photos, you leave all these things that you spent all this time building. And so this concept I think is so interesting because it allows you to keep your identity wherever you go. There's an interesting parallel to this maybe. I'm actually curious about Craig's opinion on this, but there's essentially this decentralized social network called Mastodon, and you can create sub-communities within it. It's a single platform but people can create their own mastodons and the mastodons for different countries or different interest groups. And I haven't followed it closely, but I feel like it's been a success in a few small cases, a few, like a few particular communities have taken off, but a lot of them have withered. I don't know why, but it feels to me like what's going on here is that there are certain things about the framework that you set for a social network, the rules by which it operates, the incentives for people to be there. Again, that question of incentives that can be so tricky to work out or so tricky to predict, but they are what determine whether people come to it or not, whether it turns toxic or not, 
whether it becomes a place that creates value or not. And I'm not sure that we have figured out the formula for any of this. I don't know, Craig, what you think about that. Craig figured it out. He told me earlier. Go ahead, Craig. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely have not figured it out. But what I would say is like there's many layers to this. So first of all, there's really cool blockchain technology, which is an implementation detail, right? It's a shared database that's owned by no one and everyone at the same time, which is super cool. But that enables a couple things. It enables platform interoperability as well as decentralization. As we've looked at this, at least from the Roblox perspective, we do a lot of decentralization right now, right? So we have our own currency. Every experience on our platform can have its own currency. People can buy stuff. They can move it across. You know, we have very efficient economy in terms of people moving money and trading and all these things. So it's a very decentralized ecosystem. So the question for us then is, at what point does it make sense to focus on platform interoperability. And then when we do that, what is the right mechanism to do that? Is it blockchain or other types of interfaces and protocols? And a lot depends on what other platforms become big and how many of them will there be? We don't know these things. But I think Gideon's right in that a lot of it comes down to not just the technology, but the market effects. Where are audiences aggregated and why? And how do they move between these different platforms? So I think getting back to where we started way back in the beginning, I think platform interoperability is inevitable. I just don't think we know what the landscape looks like yet. And I appreciate you saying that in that as I attempt to understand what you're saying. But this decentralization that you bring up is still only within your own platform, right? You're decentralized. That's right. It's still relatively walled. And I know that recently Roblox reported a crazy amount of social engagement. Last month, there was something like 66 billion messages exchanged and 976 hours spent with friends, which makes these users three times more likely to stay on your platform. But To your point, as technology improves, how do you actually think about that interoperability or this idea of being able to take this avatar and take these skins with you and go elsewhere? Is that good or bad for you? Well, no. I mean, so right now they can within Roblox. When I think about all the innovation, all the crazy ideas that people are percolating around Web3, first thing we say is like, that's super interesting. How can that happen on Roblox? Forget the blockchain implementation detail, right? So if we're thinking about how creators can do interesting things with their community around shared ownership, we're like, hmm, that's interesting. Like, where is that in our roadmap? We should think about that because we've got a huge community of creators and players. That's kind of job number one. Eventually, we need to think about platform interoperability. But right now, as it stands, like our platform is so large and we've got so many people, our immediate focus is adding value to that community. And I think over time interoperability platforms will become more and more important to us, at which point we need to perhaps consider use of these other technologies. We're just not there yet. It's just too early for us. I want to talk about the metaverse future, even though we're still trying to figure out its present. And Gideon, I really did think the connection between the original Matrix and the resurrection that's coming out and just how crazy it is that the timing is what it is and the connection that Wired made in your November-December issue. Can you just talk about that for a second? Because I think it's so interesting given where we are. The idea for the special issue came out of looking at what has happened since the first Matrix movie came out and saying, look, there's a whole bunch of technologies that have emerged that challenge our notion of reality. The original Matrix basically said, well, what if everything is a simulation? But now we have things like NFTs, we have AI-generated art, we have deepfake movie actors, we have lab-grown meat, we have these virtual environments. We have so many ways in which tech is altering 
our current reality. And what's interesting is the Matrix sort of got it wrong in a really important way. The Matrix said your reality could be completely different from what you're actually seeing. And what's in fact happening is that we're taking the reality we're in and we're modifying it. We're assimilating bits of it. We're augmenting it. We're adding to it to the point where we're having trouble telling the reality and the simulation apart. The reality and the simulation are kind of merging into one. The metaverse as we're discussing it now actually feels a little bit more like an attempt to move closer back to what the matrix predicted, which is a whole alternate reality, which is different from the physical world. But I suspect what we'll continue to see is this notion that physical reality and virtual reality of whatever form it is are so closely intertwined that people may not even really think of them as different spaces a generation or two from now. And that, again, is not what the matrix predicted, but it's a different twist on it. And in terms of the future of the metaverse and when all of this will actually happen, you know, Mark Zuckerberg sees a bright future, while others like John Hankey says that the metaverse is a dystopian nightmare. Some people hate it. Gideon, where is this concept going? In other words, what is the future of the metaverse and who's going to shape it? And I know you don't know all the answers, but what's your prediction? I think my prediction is yes. We'll fall into using the term metaverse kind of because it's gained momentum in the same way as we use the term internet now. And the internet at this point encompasses a whole crazy range of experiences. Email is still technically the internet. So is the web. So are apps and other forms of walled garden. So is Roblox. So we're using the internet as this really broad catch-all term for a bunch of digital experiences. I think the metaverse will come to represent some subset of those that have a few of these qualities, like being immersive. Maybe they will never integrate and become interoperable. I'm, I'm a little skeptical on this one. But we will just adopt collectively this term for a set of experiences. We'll call them the metaverse, and we'll talk about metaverse companies and metaverse experiences. And yeah, it'll all just roll on from there. And Craig, same question. I do believe that it will be a wonderful future, but there's a chance that it could be dystopian. I think some of the things that we've spent a lot of time focusing on is, you know, when people talk about the metaverse, a lot of times we think about the area where innovation needs to happen is level of immersion with VR goggles and how do I drop myself into these experiences. And what we've seen is people are pretty good at dropping into the experiences, even if they're using their phone. I think the area that we need as an industry to do more innovation on is on the social end of things, which is how do human beings come together in these spaces in productive ways, in civil ways. And I think to date, the internet hasn't been an environment where people come together in positive and productive ways. And I think we need to think about in these environments around whether it be instrumenting it so that humans understand how to navigate with things like social norms and reputation and all these sorts of things need to come to play. For us, you know, the area where we spend a lot of time focused on is how do we actually make sure that when we're bringing these people together in these worlds that the outcomes are productive and civil and respectful. And I think there needs to be a lot more attention on that piece. I'm glad you brought that up because that is really important. It's the social technology, if you like. That's a problem that we see on existing social networks where misinformation spreads or harassment spreads. We wrote a story about how one of our writers discovered some neo-Nazis hanging out on Roblox. So, yeah, this is a really serious issue, and it replicates the dynamics of what's been going on in the internet pre-metaverse. Well, I have one last question for you guys, and it's something that it kind of just came to me as we were sitting here chatting. If you had the Roblox technology for Wired, what would the Wired experience look like? And same question to you, Craig, if you had the Wired brand, what would you get excited about in terms of having what we bring to the, our consumers every day in your amazing experiential space? Which one of us do you want to go first? You guys, you duke it out. 
I'll take a shot, give you a chance sure. to think about that, Gideon. So a couple of things. One is I'd be thinking about topics that I'd want to make experiential. Maybe it's helping people understand a new type of technology and thinking about how to not just convey that through words, but enabling people to interact with it, perhaps go inside, explode it. And then also, I loved what Gideon said earlier, which is them doing it, but also potentially asking the community itself to participate and give us their interpretations of it and see what comes back. Because I think that's right. I think it needs to be this thing where you're leading a conversation with your community. I feel like the community aspect is super important because one of the things that media companies struggle with is creating content that is not just text and doing it profitably. So I can imagine that in a place like Roblox or any other virtual environment, we run into the same problem, creating, let's say, a 3D interactive model of a carbon capture plant, which would go great with one of our stories, is actually just a really intensive investment. But if we can connect with a community of people who are doing that kind of creativity already, find the best examples of it, bring that all together, then that is maybe a way that Wired can find those resources find those people, give them more exposure, but also gain something in return. My prediction is that I don't think everyone's going to do this well. And I don't think it's going to end up exactly as people think it will right now. But I think it, it feels like we're at the very beginning of something that's going to change us, I think, pretty much for good. Gideon, what would be your answer for what Roblox should do? If you were leading Roblox right now, what would you be focused on? I think I'd focus on what you just said, on the social engineering, on figuring out what's the formula for creating communities that are beneficial to people, that help them spend their times in ways that are actually long-term valuable to them, as opposed to what some of the platforms do, which is really focus on engagement, 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 time on site, time on site, time on site. I think the environment that manages to let people be their best selves and actually get value out of it is the one that will succeed. People always say, especially in marketing, like our goal is to meet the consumer where they are and create authentic experiences. And there's always this question of, can you have an authentic experience in a virtual space? That is ultimately the biggest goal. And I think we're starting to see that play out. I think there's a lot of authenticity in a virtual space. I don't really think one has anything to do with the other. Do you guys agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. To me, it's also about participating in. By owning in something, I participate in the success of it, right? Correct. And to me, that's part of this idea of, it's a co-created phenomena, right? Like it's not just where the person that's producing the platform gets all the benefit. It's the community participates in, in generating the value with the platform. I think to me, this is what's so different from where we've been, right? Because like in web one, you were just like reading the same content that was in a magazine, so to speak, like online. And then like web two, you got to actually comment, right? And you got to post your own pictures. I think in this iteration, now we get to be a part of it. We get to co-create to your point. I think we get to actually own, contribute to, and be a part of the world that we're enjoying. And that's kind of what I meant at the beginning, that I feel like we now have this ability to play a role as opposed to just be a viewer, so to speak. Well, I told our listeners we were going to go into a bit of a rabbit hole. We delivered. I want to thank both of you for joining me today. I definitely learned a lot about the metaverse. Hopefully we can check in again and see if all of our predictions have come true. And maybe next time we'll be actually in the metaverse when we host this podcast again. So until next time, thank you, Craig, and thank you, Gideon. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I am your host, Pam Druckerman. Talk to you next time. Follow Influences Currency wherever you listen to podcasts for monthly episodes. To hear more from Pam, follow her on LinkedIn. 
This podcast was produced by Seaplane Armada. It was created by Deirdre Connors, Courtney Verdier, Eric Johnson, Danielle Altalio, Julie Shen, Nico Steele, and Grace Stearns, with creative direction by Nancy Rosenberg and talent outreach and casting by Amanda Miller, Fiona Kellerman, and Greg Tharker.